0: Hello and welcome to Home to Her, the podcast that's dedicated to reclaiming the lost and stolen wisdom of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Liz Kelly, and on each episode, we explore her stories and myths, her spiritual principles, and most importantly, what this wisdom has to offer us right now. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. everybody, and welcome to today's show. So if there's one thing I've learned on this sacred feminine journey, it's this. She really is everywhere. She's everywhere. And while on the surface, it might appear like feminine voices and perspectives have been absent from many faith traditions, that doesn't actually mean they weren't there. Women are, after all, 50% of the population, so certainly they, we, have been participants in all aspects of life. It's just that we haven't always been able to hear the voices and the stories of our ancestral foremothers. So if we really wanna see and experience the sacred feminine fully rising, then reclaiming those voices and stories is essential. This is why I'm really happy to introduce you to today's guest who's doing some really awesome work in this regard. Carol Fox Prescott is a celebrated actor, singer, director, master teacher, performance coach and writer with more than 50 years of experience in professional theater. She's also the author of the play In the Voice of Our Mothers, exploring the intimate lives of five biblical matriarchs, and the co-creator of In the Voice of Our Mothers, a new way to tell the story of Passover. This Haggadah, and you know what? I just realized, Carol, I meant to ask you before we started how to pronounce that word.
1: You just just pronounced it in the Hebrew pretty well. Um, (laughs) So good for you. yeah, I'm I totally interrupting you
0: <laughs> I, I'm interrupting my intro to tell you I actually watched videos before and I saw it pronounced Haggadah, Hagada, and, and Haggadah. I Hagada. Hagada. All right. That's
1: that's the English version. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. This Haggadah invites long missing female voices, ancient and contemporary, to the table during the traditional ritual meal celebrated each spring on the Jewish festival of Passover. As Carol and her co-creator Susan Rosen explain. We listened deeply to hear the voices of women mentioned and not mentioned in the texts. We stepped into their shoes, looked out of their eyes, and found our story, our teachings, and our liberation. Carol is also renowned for her breathwork techniques, helping people master being at ease both on the stage and in everyday life. She's also one of 50 teachers in the United States chosen to be included in the book, Acting, a Vital Tradition by Ronald Rand, and is one of just four master teachers in New York recommended by the Actor's Pocket Guide to New York City. And she's joining me today from her home in Kingston, New York. Carol, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm so thrilled to be here. I really am.
0: And I'm kicking myself that I didn't think to ask you that. I actually had a note to myself before we started and, you know, well, there you go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we figured it out. We did it. I think it was the best way. Hagada. Hagada. Okay. Hagada.
0: All right. Well, I love to usually start with guests um, by asking them a little bit about their, their spiritual background and what they learned as a child. So I wonder if you we could start there with you and you could tell me a little bit about what those religious practices were for you.
1: Sure. I grew up uh, in a Reformed Jewish home. I was born in 1940, so the although we didn't have anyone that I knew of anyway, I'm sure there were people going further back, but no relatives that I knew of that were still in Europe. Um, I I grew up in the shadow of the Holocaust, and and what I remember about that is that. I knew seriously but for the grace of God so I uh, go I. I it was it was just it was never spoken I I don't think we we spoke much about it at all although I from the time that I was maybe about 6 or 7 I went to the movies every weekend and the movies had had uh, newsreels and the newsreels did not distinguish between children and adults, mm. so I started seeing those images pretty early on it wasn't it wasn't even like it it wasn't even a frightening thing; I just knew it. I just knew I was a part of something that was hurt mm. deeply but i I went to um sunday school from from the time that I was maybe five, and I remember. I do remember loving the Bible stories the early, the the early stories in in Genesis and Exodus. The characters were very real to me in some way and I, I being a, a an actress from from the womb I think uh I it was it was natural for me to imagine myself in 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 the role of people in stories, so and I didn't make a distinction between the Bible stories or, or Cinderella or, or a secret garden. And, and I loved Sunday school. I loved it all the way through. As a matter of fact, as I got, as I got older, I was less comfortable in public school and more comfortable it was like my, where my friends were were at my Sunday school. Um, Girls, there was no such thing in the reform movement um, for girls to have a bat mitzvah when I was a girl. Uh, But we did something when we were 15 called a confirmation, and that was both boys and girls. And we conducted the service. The class conducted the, the regular Saturday morning service. And... In my class, I don't—I don't know if people still know him, but um, very, uh, w- very well-known ABC correspondent was was in my class, um, and he got—he was also a singer. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm a singer, and he was—he got to sing this really long, beautiful prayer, which is the blessing over the wine, and and because I was a singer too, they wanted me to sing the other. Definitely sung prayer, which is the blessing over the candles, but it was really short and I was very angry and jealous that he got to he got to do the long song and I have I had to do the short song. So I think that was my first real awareness that something wasn't right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but, and I assume so he because he was the the male child he yes.
1: got, Well, he yeah. yes, and it, and it's designated that a man does that prayer mm-hmm. and a woman does the blessing over the candles. That's just the way it is and you don't at least in those days you didn't mess with things like that. That was 1953. No, 55 if we, if it was if it was our confirmation. But in any case, my synagogue was very socially active my my rabbi was very much against the vietnam war the first synagogue where martin luther king spoke in new york city was ours so i was very i was it was a very proud tradition for me and when i got out of college and i started to work um to establish my career in the theater I was kind of shocked to find out that I didn't have time for an active Jewish life. I never thought of myself as not Jewish. I just had other things to do. And later, much much later, I think I started to realize that that early Holocaust background did have something to do with the the way I saw the whole picture because it seemed to me that seemed to me that Judaism was going through a very frightened time and a lot of the juice was kind of damped down you only you only danced at weddings <laughs> there, there used to be and I didn't even know this then but I come to fucking to find out that there there used to be dancing joyous dancing and singing um, and and that really appealed to me and I went I went for, I graduated from college in 1962, and not until 1992 did I happily and willingly enter another synagogue. Of course, I went when my parents died. Um, I, would, I would occasionally go to a Passover Seder, but it just wasn't a part of my life, and it wasn't that I didn't miss it either. I just didn't think there was a place for me. And that was very painful.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that would be. And I had never, I hadn't thought about what, I just hadn't thought about the legacy of the Holocaust and how, mm-hmm. it, and the impact that it would have had on mm-hmm. the faith, you know, I could, I could see how a lot of the the joy would be Suppressed, you know, out of—I I could imagine—out of fear, out of guilt, out of all kinds of things.
1: All kinds of things, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. And so, what really brought you back then?
1: Well, I was at a real crossroads in my life. I had—I—I I was um, about to turn fifty-two. I was uh, divorced for the second time. I um, my. Mm, I just, I, I was lost. I was, re, I was lost. I wasn't getting a lot of work, and, and I, I thought I was the oldest person in the world. You know, I thought I was over fifty. That it was all over for me. And I heard that um, there's a there's a retreat center not too far away from here, actually called the Omega Institute, which you may have heard of. Yeah. Uh, and they were having in New York City, because so I was living in New York City all those years. It's, that's where I grew up. And they were having uh, something called a conference on aging. And I, I and there were a lot of interesting people who were going to be speakers. And I thought I better get to this because because I uh, I I, did, I I better get to this. And one of the speakers. It's another name you may or may not know. Was a, a man named named Ramdas. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and Ramdas. I had been listening to tapes of Ramdas for a while, helping me get through this time, and it really was a help. And one of the one of the reasons was he was so funny. He was really just so deliciously funny, speaking about the most serious things and it would kind of it would i could i could hear what he was saying in ways that i couldn't hear and i think because even though he was a hindu leader he was a jewish boy from boston and i heard his voice i knew him I, he was my uncle he was he just he just spoke to me and when he was giving his talk at this conference, he said that when his, his father had suffered a stroke, his mother was already gone, his brother was not in any position to help. So he came home from India to take care of his father. And he, he said when he came back, he started to look at all the things that he had walked away from when he initially went to India, and he said the words, and one of those things was my Judaism, and I almost couldn't breathe.
0: Hmm.
1: And and later, I was literally standing on line to hug him. I don't know if you ever experienced hugging him. <laughs> it was just no. one of the one of the one of the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> he was so present, and and i heard a couple of people talking about this retreat center that was that was uh opening up in a town called accord also not too far from here and that that ramdas was going to be a teacher there and and i just found out about it it's like wh- where is this and it turned out it was during the summer he was teaching for a week and the following week, I was leaving to go to Scotland because I was directing a play at the, the, um, the uh, Edinburgh Festival. And I didn't have the, I couldn't afford to take this course, and I didn't have time to take this course. but I was in this course. And it turned out that, that his course was in the, either in the morning or the afternoon, and there was a second course. So everybody took the same courses, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. The other course was called Healing Your Jewish Self. <laughs> wow. So I, I took it, and it, it, it literally changed my life. And I knew it that week. I, it, it was truly the most profound time, concentrated amount of time, that I have ever spent in my life uh, up until now. It, it, it changed everything. Part of the reason was that these were celebrators. These people were celebrators. These people were coming from a, a fairly new uh, approach to Judaism, which came to be called um, Renewal, Jewish Renewal, but people were from all backgrounds, but coming together to celebrate being jewish and it was was just like somehow somehow i th- I believe that I knew that somewhere that existed and, the, and that maybe one day I would find it and and then everything everything began to change within two years i was I was teaching there i was um, I met. A man who became my husband, and and we moved to Woodstock together, where it was close to the retreat center. But also, one of those teachers, of uh, 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 four teachers of of healing your Jewish self, one of them was a young man named Jonathan Kligler, who was who was the person who I I just he was my rabbi, and there was all there was to it. I, and I knew that where he was, there would be a uh, community for me. And, of course, all this is totally egalitarian. All this is is based on something that I kind of knew about but didn't really know about. Um, that between the time that I left Active Jewish Life to, to that very moment... The Jewish world had changed, or at least the progressive Jewish world had changed, and and women rabbis were proliferating, and 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 women were taking all the roles, from presidents of congregations to rabbis and cantors and fundraisers, and can- it just women had found their way in, our way in. And so, so that was, that was mind boggling to me. When my, when my, um, when my mother died, my mother died in 89, I think. No, I'm sorry. 90, my mother died in 98. I went to my childhood synagogue and on the, beam, on the on the pulpit were two women, a cantor and a rabbi. And I had never seen that. And, and I thought, then, maybe, maybe there would be a way in for me. but interestingly, I contacted the male rabbi to go in to talk to. Huh. and I spent and I, and I spent about a half an hour with him and walked away and said, this was before before I found Ilaf Zayim the retreat center i I went away saying, "Well' this just it's just not for me again and I, I lost those years, so you know. I suppose for me, it, it's true that that until you're ready, or or when the right teacher appears, or, or whatever, I, I wasn't ready. But when I was ready, the one thing that I wasn't sure of, and that felt like maybe it was holding me back, was how little I knew about. The women in Torah mm. Torah is the, the first five books of the Jewish Bible and it is our most sacred text but I remembered them I remembered them and so after that experience at, um, at uh, Elachaim, that I went and I went to went to Scotland and did my play and came back and joined my my synagogue the childhood synagogue. But it wasn't, even then it wasn't right. And I just, I don't know, I kept thinking, who were they? What were they thinking while all this was going on? Their stories were pretty incredible. And they they didn't have political power, but they were, if you really look at the text, there's so many little hints that these women, these women really, had a lot to say about what was going on and i i think and this i mean this this part is true and then i'll get to the i think part <laughs> i have come to believe that there was a time when there were many different traditions you know everywhere there were jews there were different traditions and the women's stories were fleshed out and were as, as strong as the men's stories it only makes sense to me and through the centuries it kept being redacted cut down and i have a feeling just like just like what i was saying about the the influence of the holocaust that decisions were made for safety there were no places where jews in the ancient world after after the downfall of the temple There were no places where Jews were safe to live. There were times, 100 years, 50 years, maybe 200 years, and then all of a sudden, if you look at Jewish history, all of a sudden the safety is pulled out from under them. And as the world became more focused on the patriarchy, so did Judaism. I can't prove that but it makes so much sense to me and if you if you read the the stories if you really look at them i don't see how it can be it can be anything else so but i i wasn't thinking this as clearly or at, at the time but one day this was in 1995 i know one day i woke up i was teaching at that time in boulder colorado and I woke up in the morning and I wrote a story about the biblical character Leah, the one, the the sister of Rachel, both of them wives to Jacob.
0: Hmm.
1: And when I, when I, I didn't dream it. I know I didn't dream it, but I woke up with it. And it revealed itself to me as I was, as I was writing it. And I thought, and I thought that I was writing about my sister, and in many ways I was. I mean, I can look at the story now and remember where those things came together. But I felt as I was writing the story that I knew her because I knew sister relationships, and I knew how damaged she must have been because of the jealousy that she lived her life with for her sister.
0: Hmm. I'm thinking of, and I have to confess that my knowledge of that comes from the red tent.
1: Yeah. Story. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how sure. accurate that is or not, you could say. No, it's, it's, it's actually, well, the first, I don't know either. Um, I have to say this because I'm really proud of this. I wrote that story a few years before The Red Tent came out. It was my idea. Oh, you know, I
0: tend to think these things are percolating out there in the universe. Exactly,
1: exactly. You you grabbed it and she did too. I did. <laughs> yeah, and she and she was just smarter than I, or more ready.
0: <laughs> yeah, she had a different path. It's all good. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Well,
0: and so I wonder if you could just um, maybe for listeners that aren't familiar with Rachel and and you know I always called yeah. her Lee in my head. I didn't even know her name was pronounced Leah. So thank you for that.
1: Well, it's pronounced all kinds of things because they're also Hebrew names it's fine whatever 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 it is and and the and the modern name is pronounced all different ways too depending on how what people's traditions are i suppose but um jacob who is is the son of isaac who is the son of abraham so jacob is third generation patriarch who we we as a as a jewish culture um look to um, I I I can't say revere because one of the wonderful things to me about about the characters in the Hebrew Bible are how imperfect they are, mm. and what dumb things they do over and over, <laughs> and and how human that is, and how and this is this is exactly what I was saying about Leah. The their stories are our stories, and. And learning how each one of them negotiates the places where they are weak, the places where they are strong, is a really important um, piece for me to be able to do the same thing. So I, I, my study of Torah is is very personal, not and not just not just psychologically, although that certainly has something to do with it, but. But metaphysically and 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 metaphorically and all the ways in which in which I can place myself to identify I I, I know this behavior. I'm I have it. It's in me.
0: Hmm.
1: And the more I and and I'm not alone, I'm not the only one. And and human beings have been struggling. With these things for thousands of years, so it, I couldn't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, the story is that that uh, Jacob and one of and one of the difficult things that he does, he's the younger son, but he is designated by his mother as the one he's supposed to get the blessing, the blessing from his father, and he tricks his father, tricks tricks him and and tricks his brother out of his own is his his, uh, destiny and and his brother wants to kill him and he runs away and he runs away back to the place where his mother came from and comes upon his uncle's homestead or whatever I don't know uh and his uncle has two daughters and the first one that Jacob sees is Rachel, who is, it is clear that Rachel is the most beautiful girl he's ever seen. And they fall instantly and madly in love. It's very, very fairy tale like. They, they fall in love, and, and then Jacob goes and asks her father, who is his uncle, but forget about that, um, for her hand. And he says, Okay, but you have to work for me for seven years. And Jacob agrees, I'm sure reluctantly. And at the end of seven years, and he's all ready to be married to his beloved, he is tricked, and he is married to her sister, and that is Leah. And in order to marry Rachel, he has to work for another seven years. So if you if you take this stuff literally, it's it's silly and it and, and it's it's a fairy tale and but it's interesting how fairy tales which are also silly kind of have a lot to say to us generation after generation but if you if you let it be not not literal but larger than literal there's so much in the stories identifying with each role like you know as you might do in a dream there's so much to be learned about what life is. What, How do I live my life? So, <laughs> uh, so I wrote this Leah story. And I was absolutely thrilled with it, read it to everybody who I could make sit down and listen. And over the course of the next couple of years, I wrote, um, we, we consider in, in Judaism the... Four matriarchs are Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham, Rebecca, who is the wife of Isaac and Jacob's mother, uh, and then um, Jacob and he, his brother Esau, and then Jacob, Jacob and Leah have 12 sons. No, he, I'm sorry, they, they, they have um, 10 sons, and he has two sons with Rachel. And one of those sons is Joseph, who is the um, the hero who who has dreams and mm-hmm. and uh, and rescues the Egyptians from starvation and and for, forgives his brother for all their dastardly uh, deeds. Um, and you kind of start to put all the stories together as one long narration, culminating in being freed from slavery which happens now that goes into um, Exodus so then we have Moses and we have the whole story of how Moses is is, uh, is hidden away and 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 the Egyptian princess finds him and uh another fairy tale uh mm-hmm. and um and then the 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 Hebrew people, the Jews, they weren't called Jews yet, but the Hebrew people were enslaved and then they were freed from slavery by M- Moses working in tandem with God. Mm-hmm. And God is a, God is definitely a figure in, in, in all the stories, um, who he talks to, and it is he who he doesn't talk to. Um, but God talks to Rebecca, Jacob's mother, God. Doesn't talk directly to Sarah, but sends an angel to talk to Sarah. There are there there are so many there are so many ways in which these women influence the narrative, change the narrative. In in Exodus, when when um, Pharaoh decrees that all all male Hebrew babies should be killed, there are two midwives. Who appear just in this one little one little portion, and they're named Shifra and Pua. And Shifra and Pua save the Jewish babies. And when Pharaoh calls her on it, she says, The Hebrew mothers are so strong, they have the babies before we can even get there. I love it. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, and and in the Exodus story. Every time the men kind of don't know what to do, like there, one of the women comes and does something. Like Moses' sister, when he when he gets put in the in in the, the cradle in the river by his mother, his sister hangs around until the Egyptian princess finds him, and then says to the princess, "Do you want me to find a wet nurse for this baby?" and brings him to his mother. <laughs> These women know what they're doing.
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, and so I wanted to know more. Yeah. And I continue to want to know more. So, so the Leia became part of the play in the, the first In the Voice of Our Mothers. And now everything I write is In the Voice of Our Mothers. There's only two so far. but, um, And we performed that play. I had a, I had a wonderful... Company of Actors. And we performed that play in synagogues, churches, universities, and organizations for about four years. And what was so fascinating to me was that we would give a talk back after every performance. And the people, more often than not, much more often than not, people were... I never knew them. If I had been told about them, I might have felt differently. And this, um, these are men and women talking this way. There was a—there was an—there was a way in, a personal way in. And we—I mean, we—we we did it everywhere. From we did it uh, for a convent, we did it. We did it for for very progressive synagogues. We did it for. Ch- a lot of different kinds of churches. Now we didn't we didn't do it for fundamentalist churches or synagogues because they weren't interested. And we would have been happy to. But you know, that's okay. We did it for the people who were ready and wanting to hear, I think. And and I'm still hoping I'm still hoping for the conversations that happen with people who are 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 more fundamental in their in their thinking and their viewpoints but but that has not happened yet not an argument i'm not interested in an argument mm-hmm. i'm interested in these are you know these are your these are, these are, this is your heritage too how do you see it who are they? they are they are they people to you or are they just are they you know figures like like the greek gods or something
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of myself as, you know, I, so I grew up in a Protestant Christian household and, but I, I knew some of the stories of the Old Testament, obviously, and, um, you know, the story of Moses and his little basket was always my favorite. I,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, it
0: actually came back to me when I was reading the Haggadah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like, oh, right. Yes, I remember this. And I remember the Egyptian princess. And and I remember the sister hiding. I remember all of these <laughs> things now. But you know, what's interesting is that I didn't really think about, you know, I think I was hungry for stories of women, and mm-hmm. I, but I didn't. I don't even know that I knew how to articulate that because mm-hmm. the story was always from the male perspective. Mm-hmm. It was about Moses. It was about what was happening to Moses and exactly about who he was going to become and the women were aiding and abetting him in becoming that, but the story was always about him. And so you know, it took me a long time to realize I actually had a hunger for mm-hmm. a different perspective. Like I couldn't have even put that into words because mm-hmm. I didn't know I was I didn't know I was allowed to do that
1: <laughs> exactly exactly
0: yeah so who knows maybe Ooh, wow. you're you're a more fundamentalist folks are in that you know bucket too and when the teacher and the timing is right when
1: when the timing is right i yeah. i i hope that this what do i hope that whoever and whatever that the joy that i have been able to find in in making this very intimate connection to these role models, these archetypes, these you know, call them what you will. Um, they there's something that sits in me so right that is that is my heritage. That is where I come from. Mm. And you know, there's a um, there's a, a a tradition that everybody every jew who ever was and every everyone who who came from every jew who ever was was standing at sinai when the 10 commandments were given and that's that's a lo- that's that's you you're in there too liz yeah because you right so yeah. and i mean just the 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 this this family of people from, from from whom we come not even were there but are there we are there and if you if you can play around with time and space and not you know not have to be literal about it it's it's your story it's your story and i i, I don't mean just you but i'm i guess i'm talking to everybody here whatever your background Whatever your background and not, not just not just Judaism and Christianity and, and, and Islam. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yes. It is.
0: It's what? It's over half of the world's population, isn't it? At
1: least, at least yeah. I, I would think. Yeah. So maybe maybe one day we'll know that. Maybe one day we'll know that. Hmm. And and for me, it's the women who had to lead me here. Yeah. It's knowing that as I stand, as I stand at Sinai, I stand there with my sisters. I stand there with my sisters, my literal sisters and my less literal sisters. Mm,
0: I love that. Well, and this kind of takes me to something that I have been mulling over a lot lately and just in my own, you know, ongoing study and research and trying to educate myself on this subject of what is the sacred feminine and... Um, I think when I first came to this, I really thought of, I, th- I thought of her as a counterpart to a male god, you mm-hmm. know, like her mm-hmm. not not literally, not like there was God and Goddess, but that she was like, no, there was a she, and I needed to mm-hmm. find this she, the mm-hmm. deity specifically, mm-hmm. and what I'm finding, I think for myself and in some of my studies of certain traditions is that that sacred feminine is actually, to try and contain her in the idea of a goddess is is not enough. Like that is certainly part of her story, but a big part of it, I think for our ancestors, and I think this is what you're speaking to, is the idea of our ancestor, our ancestral mothers too. Mm -hmm. Like, Like those women, the four mm-hmm. mothers, that they are the voices of the sacred feminine. I don't need to compare it to say as much or more than, but they are the voices too.
1: They are the voices. And I just have, I just, I just my thought just went out of my head. Um, well,
0: you know, I can say some more. And if it comes back, just interrupt me. But yeah, I, you know, yeah. because one of the things I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, this idea of the divine feminine, you know, when you mentioned that um, Moses and he, he, you know, receives the word of God, you know, like it's, and it's, God is always a he in those stole stories. That was always very clear to me as well. And so I always grew up, you know, once I had recognition of these stories, I'm like, oh yeah, well, God's a man. God's just a man. That's just the way it is. It seems like though, and I, I want you to confirm this or deny mm-hmm. this for me, but it seems like at least in, in some aspects of Judaism, there's much more of an experience of God as being gender fluid or just not, not gendered or be beyond gender. It's,
1: it's only because of the language that God is gendered. Hmm. Um, God is not a person and God is indefinable. The best name of God is, 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 is the one that, that God tells Moses yes. at the burning bush, which, is, which can be translated, I am that I am. I will be what I will be. I am becoming what I am becoming. Mm. All those are, are interchangeable depending on who's translating. Uh, I love that.
0: I do too. I
1: love that. It's not finished, first of all. It's becoming, just like me. I'm becoming. I'm 80 years old, and God knows I'm becoming. <laughs> so so, so there, there is that. And the minute we try to pin it down, even to a name, we're not allowed to have a name. That's why there are all these things we call God, but they aren't God's name. There are four unpronounceable letters, uh, Hebrew letters, that stand in most specifically as God's name. And that name, the only people who knew how to pronounce that name were the high priests who, during the days of the temple who once a year on Yom Kippur would go into the, the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary where nobody else was ever allowed to go in and prostrate himself and say the name of God. Now, Again, that's that's a fairy tale or it's a it's a it's a tradition or I don't know. I don't care. It's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And but but the fact that there I have no access to to what God is at any given other than at any given moment. That's what I want to say. <clears throat> how and that is how it how God how God is in me. There is a long tradition uh that the female presence of god again not the counterpart but the female presence of god has a name and and she is called the shekhinah and that's what it just means the female and and shekhinah is is traditionally the story as the stories go is the god that accompanied us when the temple was destroyed and lives within us like the indwelling presence of god so the part of god that's unknowable which is also you know wonderful to to have my mind wrap around and play with in my heart there is also not a separate not a separate god these are just aspects of this one god there is also a very female very caring and nourishing and loving indwelling presence who is with me in adversity Mm. now that's that's divine i think yes
0: (laughs) well and i i I wanted to ask you if you again okay so i i know like we're yes like god is this thing that transcends gender and yet here we are in this very binary existence right like this is what this Mm -hmm this is what the world wants us to be like we're Mm -hmm. (laughs) there at least, you know, in, in this culture, in this country, there's a lot of he and she. So I I wonder if you experience that at that indwelling, that, that presence always with you is that, I mean, if you had to describe something as the divine feminine or how you experience the divine feminine, would that be it? Would you call that a she? I,
1: I will call, I will call it a she, as opposed to a he, I won't, I won't call God he. I will I will in a prayer I, if it's not already it, if it's not already translated in the prayer book that I'm using I will translate it myself. Mm-hmm. Um I'm I don't know with I don't know whether I like better she or 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 some other non non defining way of of language. In the Haggadah we didn't want to be exclusive in any way because we wanted families to sit down with with, with the Haggadah and because that's what Passover is. Um, so that we have some of some of the prayers in the traditional masculine and some of it's like every other prayer that is in, in the feminine, in the Hebrew and in the English. That felt important to us. Hmm. The the people who speak. Are the women, and that's what you know. That's what, in a way, is the kind of revolutionary. There have been feminine haggadas for quite a long time, and they are wonderful. Some of them, just wonderful. What's different about what what we've done is we we tell the story through their voices. So so I come away, at least you know, it, it, happily in my imagination knowing what it was like for that egyptian princess to pick up that baby. What what was that about? No, nope. whoever whoever even thought to ask.
0: Yeah. Well, and that is one thing that I really loved about. And so I guess I want to make sure that listeners if they aren't familiar so the hagada is is it accurate to say it's the sacred text that accompanies the traditional passover,
1: correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um yeah. it's it's um a Passover Seder is done in the home, and it's a, there's a special ritual, and every Haggadah, no matter how different they are from each other, and they can be, they have to have certain, certain, certain blessings, uh, certain um, acknowledgments of the passage from slavery to freedom. Ha- Passover is about the movement from slavery to freedom. It, and it is the quintessential Jewish story the the thing that we are asked to remember it says it more times in the Torah than anything is that we were slaves and now we're free and it is up to us to treat all people well now obviously all Jews don't do that but it, it is the it is the um, it is the directive. It is the directive from from ancient times, and whoever put those words on paper, and if you want to believe it's God that's that uh, that's fine. Um, uh, the The theories are the scholar theories are that there are a whole bunch of different people who wrote at different times. Mm-hmm. but we we as Jews are taught to never forget that I, and in the present tense, was a slave, and now I'm free. And Passover is a time to reflect on where I have either allowed myself to become enslaved again, or, or where am I really enslaved. So, am I enslaved in 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 a, a destructive relationship? Am I enslaved by a limiting belief? Am I enslaved by worrying about other people's opinions about me? Am I enslaved because I think I don't dance well? Hmm. How am I enslaved, and is that where I want to stay? Because because I was given freedom.
0: Hmm. I think. Um... You know, one of the one of the things that I really loved too, about reading you know what you've what you've done with you know in the voice of our mothers is there was a lot of um, there's a lot of humanity and compassion in the story because it's told through the voices of these women and I guess you know as an as, uh, as someone, you know, so I sort of, I sort of know some of these stories because I grew up with them, but they're, you know, they're, they're not really the main event in Christianity, right? <laughs> they're part You're of right. it. It's, exactly. It's all about something else. But, um, it, you know, I, it, it, they can, I think that it, it can be, I guess when I had not read it, I, I knew a little bit about the this story, but that's told out of Exodus and Passover and whatnot. And it, it seemed very, it's just very violent, you know, just a lot of, you uh, um, it's, you know, there's revenge Mm -hmm. from God. It's just, it feels very patriarchal and murderous, frankly, you know, like none of it's good. Like what the Egyptians are doing is terrible. What happens to the Egyptians is terrible. It's all just, it's a lot of blood. Um, And I, I just found that the way in, you know, by putting this in the voices of the women, there was, it was just an opportunity to approach it in a really different, more humane and more compassionate way than how I had seen it before.
1: Mhm. I hope so. I, I I also, you know, one of the things that Jews have struggled with for again thousands of years is if if I only if I only look at this literally, how can I how can I buy into it exactly? I mean, but if I if I let myself if I just let my mind expand, and I see it as a, um, I see it as a, a a journey. I see it as, as, as a metaphysical journey. What 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 do these things stand for? There's a there's a one of the things that upsets me the most um, is the that one of the times after a bunch of plagues, um, God sends Moses back, and it says that God. Hardens Pharaoh's heart, so so Pharaoh's not even going to be able to listen to Moses, even if Moses found the way, because Pharaoh's heart is hard. And if I can only see it literally, I can't. I can't forgive it. This is not. This. What does this say to me? But you know what? I live in a world where I am constantly facing the hardened hearts, and it may be so. That my heart hardens to, mm, yeah. So I need to. Judaism Judaism's not simple, um, and and what people, I think most people don't know, even even mo- many contemporary Jews don't know, that that um, in the days leading le- leading up to the common era and just beyond, so before Jesus was born and after. Yeah, just after Jesus died, there were a group of rabbis that we just call the rabbis who took a look at the text in a very stark way and did everything they could to open up things like that and wrote stories about them, something like I just, I just did. Um, there's a whole literature of the word is midrash, which is just stories about the stories. uh, How do we understand this? And there are many conflicting ones. So there's no one way everybody has to believe. Um, And, you know, again, coming from a theater background, knowing that if I'm going to play Cleopatra, I have to find my own Cleopatra. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play. I don't know, Catherine Hepburn's Cleopatra. <laughs> I'm not gonna play Meryl Streep's Cleopatra. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor's. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that either. Um, I have to find my own, and and that's that's what I need from. The tradition that I can give myself to that there's enough there's enough boundary but they're but they're flexible boundaries. It's never gonna be good. It's never gonna be right to to just murder somebody. Obviously there are ways in which we get around that, but but it's never gonna be right. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, I get it. But within these boundaries I can find my life. I can, I can decide to write the stories of these biblical women and then encourage other people to write them. You know, I didn't write this whole Haggadah. That we, Susan and I, um, my partner, um, held workshops with the women at our congregation. And we did some teaching and we did some dancing and singing and, and a lot of confiding in each other. And then we sat down and wrote in the voices of these women. So, I, I'm, you know, I'm well represented, but I'm so proud of these other voices. Mm. An actual midwife wrote the story of the midwife. Mm. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, you know, I think that's the other wonderful thing about it and that you referred to earlier when you were talking about imagining the relationship between Rachel and Leah is that you have a sister. And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're drawing on that relationship to imagine you know what that experience must have been like for the two of them and i, I mean i have to say like what i mean they you know certainly they were they real women living at that time you know then their experience would be what it was right for them but there's a universality of the human experience as well right we know what it means to be present to childbirth some of us you know and the the miracle of that and not you know not just casually (laughs) murdering babies (laughs) like you know there's the sacredness to it that I think we all share I don't have a sister but you know I understand the 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 importance and the sacredness between uh, those bonds between women in families you know even when it's complicated so it really does for me, it reminded me of you know you can think about our ancestors as these people that we can't possibly relate to, but no, we actually can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it's no different from what from what uh, what's done in Hamilton. You know, I mean, they, he took those um, Lin Manuel Miranda took the took the stories of our so-called uh, forefathers our American forefathers and created, n- not completely taking them out of their time, but also not leaving them stuck in their time. And the way people have responded to that, every little kid knows Alexander Hamilton. Exactly. So it's, it's these people, these names of people these these deeds of people who influence our lives consistently have something to teach us either by what they did that was good or what they did that was not so good have something to teach us if we if if we want to be on our way to 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 living good lives
0: yeah, and the other thing that I thought of when you were talking about how you have felt that experience of your hardened heart, um, I believe it's a roomy poem, I don't remember all of it, but the gist of it is everyone's scandalous flaw is my own, mm. and to really
1: exactly,
0: really be with that, what does that mean, and how does that stretch us as humans?
1: Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, you know the, the the Passover connection to Easter, which is all about birth, new new birth, rebirth. I I I can go on. This horrible thing happens to me, but I can go on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's so many there's so many things that that are in common in those two stories, and they're totally different stories. But they're really about the same thing. And we need we need those stories. We need those stories. How how would we have gotten through the last year without some of the stories that we told ourselves? Yeah. Even if it's just, you know, okay, there's a there's a vaccine coming. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, something the, the Red Sea is gonna part. hmm
0: Yes, and I think if you carry it even farther back to you know, even older than that, you know, those stories, they they follow the cycles of nature, right? Spring will come. That's out.
1: right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's,
0: it's gonna stop snowing. Exactly. <laughs> the yeah. Sun is yeah. gonna come out <laughs> <laughs> and the the you know, the, the plants will grow again. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm curious,
0: um, so I guess I'm wondering for those who maybe who are listening to this and who are you know, this resonates with them and they, they perhaps want more of, you know, where, where would we find this, you know, feminine spiritual voice in Judaism, whether it's through the voice of these foremothers or, or elsewhere, where, where might you tell them to, to look and to seek these out?
1: There, there is an enormous literature. You just, you know, Google Jewish feminism. There's not a single leader, but there's, there's enormous scholarship. There's, there's a rabbi around the corner, a female rabbi around the corner. We'd probably be really happy to talk to you about it. <laughs> uh, it it's not hidden in, anymore. It's, it's part of our lives. Kids growing up now... Sometimes think you have to be a woman to be a rabbi because they've only experienced women as rabbis. How great is that? I mean,
0: it's kind of oh, messed no. up. that's great. <laughs> yeah, that actually reminds me of uh, just a little side note here. But my my daughter told my son when he was about two, he said he wanted to be a doctor. She was five. And she said, boys can't be doctors because (laughs) they'd only had female pediatricians and they watched the show. There's a little kid's show called Doc McStuffins about a little girl (laughs) who's a doctor to stuffed animals. And so I had to correct my daughter to tell her, no, my son can be anything he wants. And I
1: thought,
0: wow, this is a conversation I never in a million years thought I'd have to have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're very lucky to be around at a time where where, where we can have it. Yeah. the 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 world really changed for me with with the women's movement in the early seventies. I I think I was unconscious of almost everything except that I was an actress and I needed to work as an actress. Um, but I remember becoming aware that. All the books that I, I, love reading novels, and all the books I was reading, except for Wuthering uh, um, Heights and <laughs> *and Pride and Prejudice um, and Jane Eyre, were, were books by men that I, I knew the world through the voices of men. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I stopped reading books by men for men like 20 years. And I just read novels by women that was like amazing to me i used to say most of my friends are men i you know i I have one woman friend usually at a time but i don't know if i like women very i mean i said those things (laughs) i said those things and i cannot tell you you know because it because i i because i i was born early enough where it, it it didn't it didn't you you couldn't imagine, like you said before. I, I I wonder sometimes if I if I wouldn't have become a rabbi, because I I know a lot of people who've become later life rabbis. But um, it was there was no there was no tiny possibility in my brain. But sometime I don't know what year it was. Sometime in the seventies, as the women's movement made its little inroads. Some, a woman named Sally Presan went to rabbinical school, but they, they told her that she couldn't become a rabbi. And she just wanted, she wanted to learn. And I don't, I, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know the whole story, but one day they let her be a rabbi. She was certainly ready. She had done all the preparation work and she's still going. Hmm. Where did that come in? Where did it come into her mind? But it was time. I mean, it's just what you said before. It was time. It yeah. was time. I grew up in a time where, where there, in the New York Times, in the, the Help Wanted columns, there were women's columns and men's columns. And the women's jobs were secretaries and teachers. And the men's columns were everywhere. <laughs> Everything and everywhere.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was the world we lived in.
0: You know, it makes me think, too, of... Um... You know what you've done with the with the Haggadah here and as as more and more of these voices perhaps are yeah, I don't know if they'll come forward but are amplified or are explored in different ways if these stories and the way we understand them and you know our descendants will experience them even differently than we do
1: I'm sure that's true because it'll just be what is yeah Maybe so. Maybe so.
0: Absolutely, Carol. I want to thank you so much. This has just been the most lovely conversation, and I, I, I want to, you know, make sure. So, so your Hagada in the Voice of Our Mothers is available. Passover is coming up. As it's March the, the end the, of, the end, end of, of
1: March. March. Very early this year because of the vagaries of the Hebrew calendar. <laughs> um, that. that Th- this very early this year, it's like two weeks early this year um but uh yes, in the voice of our mothers dot com
0: okay. so can
1: you can learn more about it, you can buy it, and there's there's some some other writing um of 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 mine and some other people on on it and um and you know we're we're hoping that this will this will go on and we will we will start hearing some other voices. Many people have suggested um, that we start to look into the the Christian Bible, which I think would be really exciting. Just haven't gotten to it yet, so
0: Oh, that would be amazing. So, that would be a real gift.. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. absolutely well I'll and I'll make sure that I have in the show notes a link to your website so people oh, can wonderful. find that um I want to thank wonderful. you so much for your time I really really appreciate it
1: it was just, it was wonderful I don't think I've talked so much for a very long time but, <laughs> but I, I I I never had to think of what to say except that one time um, <laughs> um, I I so appreciate you asking me these questions because where do I get to put all this stuff together? So thank you. I will listen with great interest. <laughs> it's my pleasure.
0: I get to, you know, I'll get to listen to it again too. So <laughs>
1: Double well, the benefits. you you, are a great interviewer because I there was no self-consciousness on my part. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, and I want to thank all of you listeners too, as always. Thanks for being here with us. And um, hey, as, as always, if you like this show, you can do a couple things. You can pass it along, tell, tell your friends about it. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can give us a five-star review on iTunes. You can do all of those things if you want. And uh, until next time, well, we'll talk to you again very soon. is hosted by me, Liz Kelly. You can visit me online at hometoher.com where you can find show notes and other episodes. You can read articles about the sacred feminine and you'll also find a link to join the home to her Facebook group for lots more discussion and exploration of her. You can also follow me on Instagram at home to her to keep up to date with the latest episodes. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you back here soon.